want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I am Josh. And I'm Nat. And this morning, yeah. doing a daytime podcast recording... Um, we're joined by Mel. Mel, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about yourself? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Mel um, and I am a social worker currently working um, in child protection and I'm a mum of a nearly two-year-old. Who's very cute. Who's also a brat. Oh, <laughs> very cute. He's super cute. Yeah. 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 And thanks for having us over today. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, as you know, we start all of our podcasts off with five questions. Yeah. Um, so the first one is, what did your parents do for work? So um, my dad was a bank manager for as far as I can remember, for about a million years. And then he was a financial advisor once he stopped doing that. And my mum was, she's always done sort of like reception work. So um and and she currently works kind of like yep, she's done the last i'd say 20 years um in hospitals kind of just on switchboard and stuff like that and as a second job she's worked at the races telling bets oh really yeah. ah. as a second job your mum's yeah. a bookie always yeah <laughs> a bookie <laughs> <laughs> the ones that sit behind in like the member section and stuff but yeah she's done that for about 30 years as wow. like a second job yeah how cool yeah interesting does she have an interest in the races as well? Um, no, she hates the races. Um, no, she she does. My okay. parents like divorced a million years ago and that was just like a second job. And then she just made a cool group of friends out of it and just Cute. kept it as a Saturday job and still does. So, yeah, right. yeah. I love that. I love yeah. when you find out about like people's little side hustles. Yeah. Mm. You just don't, I think because I don't do it, I, you just don't yeah. expect it. Yeah. Some people come up with the quirkiest things. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's cool. So that's, yeah. Awesome. So the next one is, who is the most famous or well-known person in your phone book? Do you know, I thought about this last time and I, I couldn't think of absolutely anyone. And then I realised that in my phone book, not that I call her or anything, is Gina Liano. So that, and that's because she's also a legal rep outside of her, um, yeah, and I've worked with right. her before. Yeah. yeah. Is she from... Um... Housewives of Melbourne or something? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And, and can I tell you that when I, like when I, I did some work with her, I had no idea who she was oh, and everyone was like, oh, and I had no idea 
who she was and it was only later I was like oh and I, and the way she is on Housewives of Melbourne is exactly how she is in the like as in dress and hair and yeah. beautiful makeup yeah wow. I love when so you see like famous people in person and they're like exactly what you see them like yeah. on TV you're like that's good there's no bullshit that's yeah. cool yeah is um does she represent like either children's core or family core yeah 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 like she just kind of um yeah she's yeah she's a she's a legal rep that um She's like a, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, like a solicitor. So if you've got like big contests and stuff, yeah. she'd be a person, not like your regular yeah. lawyer. So she'd come Legal in. Legal aid lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing like that. She like comes in with, yeah, very clever woman. There'll be plenty oh, yeah. of legal aid lawyers out there that hate you for that comment. <laughs> True. My and actually, <laughs> I've dealt with heaps of legal aid lawyers and they're all guns. <laughs> they are. You know, why, Nice safe, nice safe. We'll, we'll, no, but honestly, you see them at the start of the day at court, Right, and they've got their massive pile of folders, oh fucking running between courtroom and courtroom, looking for young people that are outside, like punching darts at their friends yeah. or cracking the shits and being rude. Yeah, and they just push through every day, yeah. and then you go back to court another day, and they're doing the same thing again and again. So yeah. and know their yeah. stuff. I always like like when you can spot the newbie because they've yeah. got all their files and they're like sort of flustered around mm. a little bit, and you're like, oh, you poor soul. We'll see if you're back next week. <laughs> they always come back though. They hustle though. <laughs> they yeah. do. They are good. They do, they do. Um, all right, what job wouldn't you do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I was thinking about this the other day, so I guess I couldn't work in like an abattoir or like a farm, you know, a, mm. a farming, killing animal for meat farm type thing. That would probably be the job that I couldn't do. Mm. But yeah. I don't really have another job that I couldn't do. That's a fairly good answer. Yeah, that like is a really good answer. That's probably just when I think of one of the things you 100% couldn't do. I yeah. do eat meat though, but I just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. It's different. A yeah. friend of mine, um, he's a plumber by trade, but he does a lot of work at the abs because they need yeah. plumbers. And even he sometimes is yeah. like, just Yes. I can't. And yeah. he eats meat. He's, yeah. Yeah. But it would be a very confronting yeah. Yeah. place to work, I reckon. Mm. Yeah. I am. Um, That's a good answer. Yeah, it hey. is. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? So there's been, I guess, I've heard a few of your podcasts and probably some of my advice has been the same, but I think um, over the years it's changed a little bit and probably the one that I live by now is just being the best version of yourself that you can be. So Mm -hmm. you're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to, yeah, it doesn't always, yeah, you don't always feel like you're doing amazing stuff, Mm. but it's just being the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's, I guess, at work, in life, being a mum, doing whatever, like just trying to be the best version yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's a good one though because i think even in the work that we do do in, in the field that we are in if you're you're not fully there and yeah. you can't you know maybe you've got shit going on at home yeah. or you know currently it's a pretty stressful time for people yeah if you're not showing up as the best person you can be yeah. you're not being the best person for your young people yeah. as yeah. well yeah so it, yeah it's a good yeah it's a good and one. i think often mm-hmm. like i guess in the work that we do you can get so deflated so easy or you can feel like you're not doing like you're not doing the best that you can or you're not and then if you just kind of remind yourself that actually I'm being the best version of myself that I can be Mm. um yeah yeah Mm. yeah because I think we hold each we hold ourselves in really high um we give ourselves really high expectations um and it can be really difficult when you don't meet them I think especially in like the the child protection youth justice kind of spaces where there's like goals that young people want to achieve and that you want them to achieve yeah that if they're not achieving them or you're struggling to support them to achieve them, yeah. you can think that you're a bit 
shit. Yeah, mm. yeah, 100%. But, you know, sometimes yeah. there's the small wins are actually, yeah. you know, um, yeah. great goals that are being achieved and yeah. don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Not every kid you're going to get every kid to go back to high school yeah. or get them a job. Or, yeah. 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 Yeah, good one. Yeah. And I think you can't fail, like, when you're being the best that you can be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. When you're just putting in as much as you can put in or trying to, yeah. Even if something went wrong, you can say, actually, I did the best yeah. of my ability yeah. in that exactly. situation. Exactly. No, no doubts. That's exactly right. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. That's a good one. And what was your aha moment? Um, <laughs> I don't really have an answer for that in that there's been, there's been lots. So yeah. I think it's just, for me, um, over the years in different, um, I guess, roles and what have you, it's that kind of relationship building. So when your things have been tough or say, for example, I always think of like one, there's one one young person in particular that is always someone that comes to mind and it was for her, it was all the fuck offs and get fucked and don't, and for so long and then it kind of flipped and it was, I need you for this or can we do mm. this? And they're kind of the moments when I'm like, you know you're in it for the right reasons because yeah. it's just or that you know you're doing your job well, whatever it is because, um, yeah, like you've just you've seen the flip and then mm-hmm. you're helping to make those kind of changes and stuff. And I think that um, there's been a few of those along the way for me. Like, yeah. Mm. And the yeah, fuck you get like, very exhausting. Yeah. They do. Yeah. So it's a credit to the yeah. perseverance in that space. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, often, I don't know, like you can, you just have that, I'm not going to explain it well, but that moment when you're like, oh, now it makes sense or mm. now it's just clicked or now I'll get it, but it's kind of um, taken a few, maybe push downs if that's the right word to get there. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so there hasn't, I don't think there's been one, but I think, um, yeah, there's just been certain times when a relationship's kind of built or something's shifted in that kind of working relationship that you've had and you're like, oh, this is mm. why, this is why I do what I do or this is what it's all for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And do you find, I don't know, this is probably a raging assumption by me, but um, you've done a couple of different roles in the yeah. sector. Yeah. Is being a child protection practitioner harder because of the organisation you represent? Because I guess there's a yeah. bit of a, bit of like a stigma in the field, yes. I guess, is that the mm. kids just hate child yes. protection. Because yes. they're the bad guys. Yes. Yeah, and that's not necessarily yes. the truth in situations. Yeah. It's it's there's other things that go into yeah. that. But is that something that you notice as well? That it's a hundred percent. And I think it's um. And I think I had my own views before. I guess working in child protection, but I think it is. It's now that I've been in in that role for a while. I'm, I'm very proud to work in that role, and I think it's about changing and reframing. So a few times, I guess I've come up. Against it's a very bureaucratic system to work in, but I think you've come you come up sometimes against certain barriers or your own values and stuff, and you kind of think um um I don't know I've just lost track of what I was saying. Sorry, right. <laughs> it just happens all the time. <laughs> sorry. Um, oh yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've totally gone blank. Fine. What were you just saying? Child protection. People sorry. Yes, yeah, about reframing. So many times I've gone in and thought like I I just like this work isn't for me or it's probably not. I'd be better in like a community-based organisation. But then um, with the families, I guess, and children and young people I work with, I often think if they have to be part or subject to that system, mm. you want to have the best workers in that that mm. you can and you want to have the best kind of workers that um, – and there's a lot of us that kind of you get families that you turn around and they'll be like, I really liked that worker or it's not you that I don't like. I mean, yeah. it's not you, it's DHS, you know, yeah. like that yeah. kind of thing. So and I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of us kind of reframing – that kind of being, yeah, if you have to be part of that system, you want to have a worker that's a good worker and got you back and, yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's busy work. Like I think how many times have we been like, I don't know how to protect protection yeah. workers because I don't think I could do it. Yeah. It's, you probably could, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's, yeah, it's crazy busy. I think, um, yeah, I'm, I don't like to kind of, I, I like to be busy and I like to be always in that fast paced environment and running on adrenaline. So I think that that's, yeah, it's not for everyone, but it's definitely a rewarding job yeah. at times. <laughs> and you hold a pretty specific role yes. within um, CP. Yes. What is it that you do? So I work in kind of like it's the case contracting space. So um, I have only a full Aboriginal caseload. So every um, child and family on my caseload is Aboriginal. And um, we contract those children out to um, VACA, which is the Aboriginal organisation that we work alongside and um, sort of they hold they have a kinship team um, that holds case management responsibility so it's a more kind of culturally appropriate service and then we kind of um, I guess we work alongside each other or jointly to get better outcomes for Aboriginal children and families um, and then we have I have like another part of the role where we um, try and get our like try and get Aboriginal children out of the child protection system completely. And there's a program at Backer called Noogle and we get as many children over to them as we can. And that means that they then take on um, full child protection responsibility. So those children are actually out of DHS um, okay. for good. Yeah, and they can, they're managed by an Aboriginal organisation. It's more culturally appropriate. It fits in line with self-determination. And most families, obviously, um, given the history of child removal with Aboriginal families, would rather be managed by... Yeah, an Aboriginal organisation. So it's a really positive thing that we're trying to get as many children out of that system and into an Aboriginal organisation. Absolutely. Yeah, to have their... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It seems that there's a bit of an interest in the Aboriginal culture. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you said spent some time, you would said briefly, up in uh, Northern Territory. Yep. Yeah. What were you doing up there? So I... Spent about, oh, nearly five, four and a half months, five months in Maningrida, which is, I'm really bad with geography, but it's like at the tip of Australia, so you could swim across to Papua New Guinea, if you can think about it like that. Yeah, 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 not Australia, just, yeah, 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 sorry, right up the top, yeah, Yeah, um, and it's, I think it's, so it's Arnhem Land, East Arnhem Land, I think, and it's, um, yeah, it's like one of the most remote communities in um, Australia, and it was just the biggest eye-opener ever wow. in my entire life yes I'm always so intrigued when people have done stints you know we had Nat on the podcast and she did mm. a teaching stint yep. um, placement up yep. in the Northern Territory and it always intrigues me so much when people go and stay for a significant period as well because I think there's some people that will go up and do like a week trip and yep. it's not it's not a significant amount of time to really yep. get a feel mm. of yeah um, a space what do you think what like what did you like most about working up in like a remote community? Um, I think it is just it is just um, it's next level. Like you can't even explain it. Like I, I so I did mine um, towards so I did my um, social work degree, mm-hmm. um, and it was so it was a four year um, bachelor of human services, masters in social work, and and I was thirty when I did that. So I would have been almost thirty four. So I was a bit older, mm-hmm. um, and I remember I didn't. It was a placement. It was a placement, but I found it myself. So mm-hmm. um, I'd looked at a few different places, and then I got bounced, and I was like, no, I need to. And I thought it's just funny because you think you know so much, you read so much, you watch so much, you learn so much, and I had travelled 
to so many different places in the world and I really thought I was so so worldly and knowledgeable <laughs> and I have got this and it was such it was a really tedious process to even get there like no one they said no one had ever even um like a student had never gone there they wanted yeah. to make sure I wasn't super overweight because you're like in and out of Hiluxes and Troopies and stuff like that so we flew I, I flew into Darwin and then you get one of those tiny little planes to Maningrida and oh oh what? No, no, a tiny little oh, plane. That yeah, was yeah, scary. Oh, yeah, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's so it was so scary. It was just I think I kept, I kept a journal the whole time that I sometimes read back on because you forget so much. But yeah. yeah, I touched down and I swear like everything I thought I knew about myself. I was like I cried myself to sleep. I think every night for a week and then and then it got better. But I was the, it, the community is so I guess clicky and you're walking around and you're. All, I was probably one of, I don't know, like 20 white people mm. in the community. So I'm a new white person and everyone, I think I was called Ballander for the first um, probably three weeks, which means white person. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a name, even though I had a name, I didn't have a name. Um, I just, I just smiled too much at everybody, which is really suspicious. Like it was just, yeah. So um, it, it took a while and then probably about a month in and then two months in, like I just, I could have lived there forever. Yeah. Absolutely lived there forever. Um, English was a second language to most people. So um, there were quite a few, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the language now because I started learning it, but there were quite a few languages spoken within the community. Um, I worked for um, an organisation called Malabam, which was um, like they did, I was part of a social and emotional wellbeing program. So nothing job protection related or teaching. It was just a lot of women's groups. So I learned a lot about men's business and women's business. But I think, um, I think probably the most, um, the most, um, I don't know, one of the biggest take-home lessons we hear about, like the health gap that's so wide here, and it's always a statistic or it's always mm. like, but but there, I think in the nearly five months that I was there, there was 11 deaths and a lot of them were old age related, but the um, old old people's home was 40 plus. So once wow. you're 40, you're kind of classed as wow. old and that's like a genuine health gap. Um, there were things like there was no morgues or there was no, so people like would bury their own people on just, yeah, like on their own land and then just be lots of, um, I guess, molds with crosses and stuff and when bodies people pass like people would have to be flown and um, the deceased would have to be flown to like Darwin to just and then flown so there's a lot of that kind of distress for a lot of people in community yeah. stuff so you just yeah it's a really um I know I'm rambling because I'm trying to think back it's going on no, in my head but um so much and just that beauty of like um certain lands you couldn't be on without um having an Aboriginal person with you that yeah. real respect for um Aboriginal land and and I was really lucky that um, a few of my co-workers um, Aboriginal would take me out and yeah just just yeah going and seeing different lands and hearing people talk about their stories on different land that yeah. we you know you watch a lot on TV but when you're there it was a really yeah really beautiful experience um, and I think yeah when we it's just as well though like it's like a third world country so yeah. it, it make it blows my mind still how um how yeah the one of our you know Australia being one of the richest countries we've got um our first nations people living so um yeah way below the poverty line like there's just not enough funds for things and mm. even yeah but it's interesting because when you were saying that when I was in my head you know there's been times we've spoken about before like all the travel and traveling you know and as I think there's a lot of um people in our field that do go and travel the world yeah. and experience a lot of things and it's often going 
overseas, yeah. you know, to like yeah. Auschwitz or to places where yeah. there's been, I guess, um, grave tragedies or, you know, there's a, it's a hot thing to travel to Bali or Thailand, yeah. you know, because they're, they're third world countries and yeah. we talk about how they're such humble people and they're yeah. different. Um, I just, I guess, the different parts of their culture that you learn about yeah. and it's intriguing and, and we love that. But you don't often hear about, and this is why I'm so intrigued when people go and work yeah, for yeah. communities, because you don't often hear about people, in, like Australians, just common Australians, going and visiting remote yeah. communities or going yeah. you know, to the to that point in Northern Territory. Yeah. or you, It's not something that we go and often mm. do, I yeah. guess. And like, there's a lot of people in the field that do placements and yeah. go and do that. Yeah. But in like the general sort of public, it's not yeah. often something that we explore on our own land. Yeah. It's something yeah. we travel overseas yes. to go and do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, I think doing that, and I've spoken um, a lot about this, like with different people at different times, I think doing that has really shaped how I work with Aboriginal families now. Like mm. I think it's um, like, for example, there used to be one woman that I worked with and every time she'd come to the office, we'd never go in the office, we'd sit out on the steps and she'd have a smoke and we'd grab a coffee and we just wouldn't sit because it's not and she'd never you know every here we're always running on appointments and times and she'd never come with an appointment or a time but you'd make time because she's come to actually do you know what I mean yeah. and I, I used to find that all the time like I remember <laughs> I was gonna say it makes me sound so lame but it's it's one of my lessons like I remember I used to get quite um how do I say it without say, making myself sound like a douchebag? I used to get like <laughs> upset when I'd be like really nice to me. No one ever said thank you. And no one ever said, and I was like, why, why, like, why? why is it this is what we do? And then I remember one of the ladies saying like, you know, in our culture, we don't need to say thank you because it's just expected that we do things for each other without needing something in return. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's just, it's thank you. And we don't need to make a time to visit because we just all visit when we want to visit. And I thought, oh, that's actually really clever like why do we need to say thank you why is it such a thing that um yeah and I think even things like um we used to drive around community and you don't just go into somebody's house without asking you bip the horn at the front and you wait for someone to come out and but always little kids like playing with like tins and I remember once these two little boys were sitting on a drum and they had tins tied from string and were playing and singing it and I'm like that's what you know, a lot of our kids these days are just mm. on Xboxes. Like it's, yeah. But yeah, so it was that kind of stuff too that it's just like, oh, it's just, yeah, completely different life. But I think, um, yeah, it, it just, it's a lot of your kind of values, I guess, a challenge and your ways of thinking about the Western world that we live in mm. kind of, um, yeah, challenged a little bit and you're forced to take a step back and like, why do I think that our way is the right way or why do I think that this is how things should be done? So, yeah, yeah I think... Yeah, I think it was definitely, yeah, mm. the best. I'd, I'd live in remote in a heartbeat for, yeah. yeah and it's funny because I've never heard somebody say the opposite of that. Every mm. single person that I've spoken to that's ever gone and worked in a remote community or, or visited yeah. there and volunteered, every single person has been like, yeah. I've lived there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Mm. Not once has it yeah. been, fuck that, I'd never go yes. back. Like, there's always such an admiration for yeah. for the remote communities and the work that's being done. Yeah, mm. and I think because, like, people – um, in community are so genuine and mm. so beautiful and so everyone's willing to kind of share especially for us white people um share like their stories and share their culture and their um and, and just want to like educate whereas we're a little bit more I don't know like we're not willing to give people that don't understand a go as much as mm. yeah and and like even even like the spiritual side of it like I remember someone saying to me when someone dies in community and this it sounds it sounds like I'm making it up but I'm not like when someone dies in community you'll hear all the dogs they'll all howl 
Mm. Like the old, and I remember lying in bed one night and there was just like dogs just howling like mm. the whole night. And I was like, how bizarre. And then the next day, yeah, someone had passed and they wow. say it's like when their spirits being, t- and yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was amazing because someone had said it and I was a bit like, oh yeah, that sounds, and then mm. yeah, experienced it and you're like, oh, it's a thing. So yeah, yeah. there's lots mm. of, um, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. The yeah, spirits same. with the animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. When we're at Parkville, Annie Helen. Yeah. Um, I was sitting outside there at the time she was on the, um, the cultural team, yeah. I think yeah, she was yeah. always on the cultural team. Yeah. Um, Aboriginal lady, I'm reporter, Annie Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was out the front having, having lunch or something and there was a crow sitting either side of me. Yeah. She comes out and she's like, Oh, it's not good. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, Oh, the crow sitting either side of you. It's not good. And I go, what do I do? She's like, clap, tell them to fuck off. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, go on, go on. But she's, you know, she just said it was yeah. bad luck that they're both on either side. You know, yeah. just, I thought it was really cool, but yeah. it wasn't something that you had to uh, believe in yeah, or yeah, be yeah. part of, but because it was more like the nature, the, yeah. the flora and the fauna, like they literally live here and the grass yeah. grows and the trees grow, like you're part of it. Yeah. And I just, I really like that. Yeah. And it was really cool. Yeah. I think the Dreamtime story is obviously yes. we're all familiar with, but mm, I just yeah. like that instead of having, and not to, you know, um, mm. uh, shoot down anyone else's religious beliefs, mm. but I kind of like the idea that, um, the kangaroos got their tail from this story yeah, as opposed yeah. to a God who yeah. we can't see yeah. kind of made things and what have yeah. you. Like, I just yeah. really yeah. like, yeah, I just really like it. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, cause you said, um, you know, the first week was really, really tough. Yeah. But by about week three, like everything was really, really yeah. good for you and you're getting on really well with yeah. everybody. What took you to get to that point? Was it you or was it people in the community? Or? It was me. Yeah. It was me. You need to calm down and not worry about <laughs> It's true though. Like I was on my own and I was like, you need to just calm down because you know you want people to like you. If we yeah, go and be that, the same. That is our Western – that's what I mean. Like I was this chick that thought <laughs> – I've got all these skills and I'm so amazing and I'm so, you know, in shoot. No, absolutely not. Like smiling, over the top smiling and over the top being nice and wanting people to like you. And it's like you're a new person in a community. Everybody is like, what's this chick doing and what does she want and who, you know, and I I did. I got grunted at a lot, which I I love when I think back. But, um, yeah, it was just things like nobody... Yeah, really, not not gave you the time of day, but it's just like just chill. You just need to be there for a little bit, walking around. Like people just... Yeah, and then and then people even started calling me Mel in the end. I was like, oh, "Hi Mel, yeah. not Belinda anymore," because that's just what they call white people, like yeah. Belinda, Belinda. But um, yeah, and I think when I reflect back and like when I read, kind of, I kept because I was on my own, um, and I lived in a house. It was um where I was on my own for most of the time, but it was also a place where fly in and fly out workers would come. So say an OT would come for two nights, they'd stay where I stayed and stuff like that. So you got some kind of. Um, company and interaction or whatever but um yeah it was really about just chilling out and letting people just like get to know you without getting to know you if that makes mm-hmm. sense so it was just kind of being present in community being around letting people ask questions about who you were and what you were doing and I think when people um a lot of people when they found out that I was a student from Australia um, sorry from Melbourne and um, coming to another part of Australia to learn and um, that became really um I guess a real tool as well because people then wanted to share their story and I remember one of the men um, that I worked with Oliver he said at the end like you're the knowledge stick now what we teach you you take back and you yeah. share with people and you so what what it was definitely all of me um wanting that 
that just to be liked instantly and I'm here to do something good and I'm here to do, you know, that kind of thing and just get rid of that mentality and just be and just be, yeah. And I think that <laughs> that was a massive, and, and a lot of people, um, I think even even back home, like a lot of, and like, you're so amazing. You went, it's like, I'm not amazing in any way. Like mm. everybody there is amazing for allowing me on their land and teaching me. And But I think it took being there and coming back because before that I did think I was amazing going and doing this. But actually, no, yeah. Yeah. you're lucky and privileged and you've learnt so much. And I think I kind of not feel bad, but I think it's something like everybody should experience at some point whether it's a holiday like you said or mm. just a couple of, just something just to know what the real estate is like and yeah. even just seeing how people live compared to how we live and and understanding I won't get into it but even the government you know where mm. funding goes and structures and stuff like that and what yeah so I think um yeah I think that was probably yeah mm. it is quite over, overwhelming and I haven't been up to the yeah. Northern Territory but I have I've had conversations like this with um, like housemates and stuff that have lived yeah. from they're from England or yeah. wherever, and that you can that you can be here in Melbourne and then you could be in Sydney, you could be in Queensland, you could be in the, in Central Australia, you could take a photo and you could believe that any of those places were all in different countries. Yes, but it's just yeah. I guess my point is it's just like our land in Australia itself is just so broad yeah. and just mm. so big. Yeah. Like it's overwhelmingly big. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I never realized that. I'm pretty, you said before you're geographically challenged. I am <laughs> outrageously geographically challenged. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Even to this day, I like curse my geography teacher. But someone, there was a map comparison of Australia to, I the think. States or Europe? Yeah, the States mm. and Europe and yeah. how big and how much land we actually have. And I never realized how vast it is. Oh, it's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, but just, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a point, but I was just a yeah. reflection. I no, no, no. That no it, it's... It, but what I think is funny is that you talk about someone, people need to go there, people, you know, they should check it out. Like, it's a long way, but you could drive there from yes. your house. And yes. I think that's also something yes. that's scary yes. is that, yes, it's a long way. Yes, it will take you a lot of days, but this place that you're talking yeah. about... You can drive there. You don't have to yeah. fly on a yes, plane around the exactly. world. Mm. You don't have to, you know, exactly. whatever. Yeah. Like it's, it is here. Yeah. Mm. It's a long yeah. way away, but it's here. No, still. it's true. And, it's and kind of scary. No, nah, in 100%. a positive sense. Mm. Not, yeah. yeah. And it is. And I think mm. that's the, that's the, um, it, it's, it's so scary. Mm. I think that's the exciting thing about it later that mm. it's so scary. Like I remember, um, so Scott, my partner had moved from Brisbane and I was finishing uni and he'd basically waited four years for me to finish uni. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go to the Northern Territory and do this. He's like, do you really think that you need to be doing that right now? Like, can't you do it at this point or that point? And I remember it was a bit of a, I'm like, no, I have to do it. And when we talk about aha moments, like I have to do it. I know like, it's just, it's hard, but I have to, I have to, he's like, just whatever. Mm. And I remember there was, um, there was one point when I had an aha moment there and that was literally, I can't can't remember what I was doing, but I was driving because I had a Hilux because it's hard to, and I was driving the Hilux and I think I picked a woman and her dog up just because I saw them from community to drop them off. They lived a bit far. And I remember when I dropped her off and then was driving back, like I had this huge smile on my face and I just felt like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like yeah. I'm yeah. just, just on my own driving Hilux, like it. hanging out. And yeah. it was, and it is, it's that real, yeah, I, yeah, I can't explain it, but it's, it's, yeah, I get goosebumps when I think about it because it's, I think we have like, um, 
like building blocks in our lives Mm. and we're talking earlier about kind of um where where you've gone in life so for me started out in resi worked at parkfield have done kind of different jobs but i think they're all building blocks to get you kind of where you need to be and that was another one like Mm. I, i think that has shaped me to work with like the the um i guess aboriginal families and children that i work with now in a much more um, knowledgeable way if we want to say that like mm. always learning but yeah it was yeah. yeah insane anyway and it would be so nice for you to be able to share those stories as well about mm. what you've done yeah. for your clients that you work with yeah. down here and yeah. you would have a certain level of knowledge that the western world would yeah. necessarily yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and a bit it... of credit surely from clients too sorry not to cut no, off no, but no, no. would you do, you do you sort of say to them like oh you know when i when i went i'll drop it in no. uh, uh, yeah like, <laughs> sorry i'll completely no. cut you off no that's out. where i was going oh. <laughs> I don't always do it I guess with with young children a lot but I probably do it like with older mm. um either parents or um or like aunts and uncles and I guess that's more about um I sometimes would say it but it's more around so our children often have uh, or not often it's part of our legislation that each child has a um, cultural support plan Mm. which we build on so that they've kind of got their story and their journey and you get that information I guess from families and from kids and so when we're doing that and building on that I might like I'll make the effort to learn different like if it's a family that's from say Perth personal land or so you know you you get to learn um what's what and I might and then I'll drop in oh I've done a bit here there and everywhere but not to kind of go I get it more that then we can talk a bit about yeah. experiences yes. and stuff and I think yeah. that's always um yeah like useful but it's even just learning I mean we we do it in a lot of our training here and um, but I mean even just learning how we I guess communicate and speak and language that we use like even in child protection I never use concerns I use worries because it's just that language and I think with kids it's the same like not we're concerned about they're really worried about this and it's yeah. just that little because that's what Aboriginal people were using when that they, they'll talk about their worries with family and they so instead of using like yeah the language concerns. is an interesting one isn't it because I think you had a story um be more info yeah I know sorry <laughs> that was super descriptive you would had a story there was um Oh, they were doing some like oh, avatar. Do you know what I'm talking one. about? Yeah. Oh yeah. We were talking about. So you might know this, but um, we were chatting with Nat and we were saying that uh, so that when you have um, knowledge around Aboriginal culture and you're working for a statutory organisation, that you're in a position to be able to help educate um, people you work with, yep. government body when yep. they're making decisions. Hopefully, um, and there was a government body, and I don't know where. Genuinely, don't remember where it was that decided to do an anti-smoking campaign for Aboriginal culture and their slogan was smoking is deadly. What? Smoking what? is deadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was but that was their it was oh an anti-smoking campaign. Okay. So yeah. they failed to realise the slang word. I got you. Deadly. I got yeah. you. Good. And when you said smoking then I thought I'm so I thought you meant like smoking ceremony. ceremony. And I was like, well, yeah. what do you mean someone was sure, trying to sure. ban that? No. I got you. I anti-smoking idiots. cigarettes, yeah. 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 So smoking is deadly and put these signs up all around Aboriginal communities. Yes. I can't remember which state it was in. Um, but I How? guess obviously How? failed to sort of seek some guidance and crazy you know a sounding yeah. board yeah somewhere yeah that's <laughs> and they did that so i can't even believe that that happened yeah, yeah. that's crazy it's pretty good so yeah um, but yeah but you're, you're right because you do still hear and i don't 
I don't. I know that it, it can be difficult sometimes, but you do still hear. And I, I work very closely with um, an Aboriginal woman in my organisation, and we actually went to uni together. Funny enough, but um, yeah, and even I still hear people say they a lot. Like not we talk about they, but it might be they as in talking about a group of Aboriginal people oh, sure. or they like just generalising the same, mm. you know, issues for one yeah one group. I guess just just certain words where you're like, no, that's me, that's that? not yeah. yeah. And I think um. I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I think in no. child protection, it's, um, it is, and we're always trying to educate people around it's knowing what you represent as well. Like no. we remove children based on colour. That's what, I mean, you still hear Aboriginal families call us the welfare. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We remove children based on colour. So understand that every family that you work with, um, and I think it's it's not just across child protection, it's any, you know, when we worked in youth justice or resi, whatever, every family that you work with at some point, someone will have a member of their family that's part of the Stolen Generations or that's, you know, like, um, and so I think it's having that awareness of what you represent as like a yeah. white social worker in this area and being able to work within that and, um, yeah, kind of not come in with all that powerful, we know, we, you know, do as I say type thing and, and you know, yeah, I'm gonna go off. But yeah, just like working, yeah. working with and working alongside. Mm. Not you know need to do this or. Well, working alongside someone completely takes away that power imbalance. But 100%. also, I think it's really important that workers acknowledge that you might be copying a bit of flack as you know the white social worker, for yeah. example. But you need to also take into consideration what you're the face of. Yeah, it's not you. They're not yeah. personally attacking yeah. you. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you've done nothing wrong yeah. from the get-go, but there needs to be an awareness and an acknowledgement yeah. of what has occurred yeah. um, and what, what you do represent, like you yeah. said, like the welfare system and, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the horrific things that yeah. have occurred. And it's, you know, intergenerational trauma is a massive yeah. thing that we see and being able to acknowledge that, especially from a departmental yeah. yeah. um, organisation, is huge. Yeah. And I think as well, it's that it's um, a one huge strength of, I think, every Aboriginal family that I've worked with is that actually generally um, a lot of family members, are, they're aware of concerns and stuff like that. So generally family members, are, it's the way that we address it, are on the same page and we'll kind of be like, yeah, maybe this child's not in a very safe situation and who in the family can help and who, and we're getting, I think, better at that, like looking at different family members and how to support rather than, just going like I don't I think that's a misconception to a job teacher. Like we always look to family, but I think these days we're getting a lot better at like family finding practices and stuff like that. So you're really searching mm. for connections and networks so that if a child can't be with their immediate family, mm. um, then they're with other family members that can still have that connection with mum and dad so that that's within their own network to keep the contact happening and keep those connections strong. So it's mm. um yeah, I think that's probably but I think yeah, generally family are on the same page. It's just about how we, us not making decisions for families. Like we have a great um, role in child protection as well called Aboriginal Family Decision Making. Um, we have conveners for that and meetings. So we pull as much family together and sometimes it takes a while as we can to all kind of come around the table and then families make decisions about children and then we try yeah. and make sure that we fit our work in line with that so that families are feeling like, and it is a really good um I guess, reflection on things that we've done wrong in the past. And now we're like, well, family's making this decision. We try and work with it. Yeah. If it works, great. And, yeah, so empowering, yeah, I guess, families to, yeah, make decisions that affect their own children. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You mentioned before, and I want to quickly touch on it, purely because I noticed that someone had posted in the Facebook page the other day about um, she wanted to, I think, find her own student placement, and you'd said that you found your own oh, student yeah. placement. And it's... Mm. Um, 
I think I know a lot of people that have found their own student placements, but it's a bit of a um, thing, I think, that people, or a misconception maybe that people think they can't, or maybe some universities say that they can't find their own yeah. student placements. Um, but did you find that, like, was that a tricky process for you accessing your own student placement? Did you have, like, support from uni or wherever you were studying? No, it was, it was I guess, like being a little bit older I was like I worked at Parkville at the time so a lot of people at Parkville had worked um, in the Northern Territory in different places so that was how initially someone had said why don't you try um why don't you try this community and then I'd rung and they were like no but then that person said why don't you try this and I kind of got the ring around for a while I think as long as it fits in with the AASW guidelines um Australian Social Workers, what's the, what's the Australian acronym? Association of Social Workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't even say association properly yeah, yeah, no, then. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to just throw the acronym out there for, for people that don't know. Um, yeah, I think as long as it fits in with those guidelines, because that was my issue. Um, my placement coordinator at uni didn't help, but when I said I didn't want to, the only connection, I went to La Trobe in Bandura and the only connection that they had was Darwin Hospital and I, I didn't want to work in a hospital. Mm. Um, and then I said, okay, what about if I find my own um because job protection was a placement not but I always knew I was gonna that was where I wanted to go mm. um and so yeah and so it was it, she just said make sure that I guess whatever social worker in community that I had had to be registered yeah. and then they had to fit in it just had to meet the guidelines so I think mm. that that's if you're finding your own placement you just have to make sure that it fits in with the ASW guidelines that the uni should have yeah um yeah, the uni should be able to help with. So, yeah, I didn't have much help, but it was once we start. But once we started, it was really a positive thing because then uh, the placement coordinator spoke with the um, social worker in the remote community. They had a lot of to and fro, um, which was great. And then after that, it opened a new door so students could keep going. So, yeah, cool. um, yeah that was good. Mm. Yeah, Just an interesting one yeah. to bring up because I think often people sort of are doing their social work degree or are at uni and don't know whether they're allowed yes. to find their own yeah. placement and or so end up just doing placements places yes. they don't want to do it like, student placement's your opportunity to get out yeah. and put the feelers out and 100 you know learn where you do want to be or where yeah. you definitely don't want yeah. to be or yeah and i think it's hard with placements too because i guess i don't know unless you've got like a really good uni people do just try and fit you where there's spots often like i know mm. my first one it didn't end up i didn't end up working there but it was a hospital and i was like i just don't want to be it's nothing wrong with hospital work but I just knew that at that point I didn't want to be in a hospital I'm like this is gonna be four months full-time of unpaid work in an area that I it would be great like and now thinking back I'm like oh well I'm working in a hospital now but and back then I was like absolutely not and you don't want to give up four months of five days a week in a place that you kind of don't really want to be so yeah yeah I and think it's, it's a lot of time yeah yeah and I would say just start early like, yeah. you know, if you know placements coming up, give yourself like six months before and start looking and searching and putting the feelers out because, yeah. Yeah, it's a hard mm. thing. Mm. I always feel bad when you get like students cold calling, being like, hi, I'm just wondering if you guys take student placements. And like you do, but there's always like yeah. hundreds of people yeah. trying to find you at the same time. It's mm. like, oh my God, you have all got to fit somewhere. Yeah. But where? Yeah. We do have to know. Yes. Mm. <laughs> we'll throw the challenge out, old mate. Go up to the Northern Territory, do your student placement, yeah. right? Tell us when you come back and come on the podcast. Yeah. There you go. Deal. You'd better not be doing it somewhere just in Dandenong or Frankston, yeah. right? And you know what, mate? You can drive there, right? Yeah. Don't you dare the fly. Don't you dare fly. Yeah, get, get a Hilux. Set up a Hilux and drive. I'll tell you what, I would rather drive those little planes. They're so scary. Oh. Like, they're just... 
Did you have any wolf? Sorry, I cut you off. No. Was, did you have any wolf creaky moments? Like not because of the community or anything, but just being remote. And uh, I would imagine it'd be kind of no straight lights. Yes. Yeah, super dark. <laughs> like just. Yes. Know. I um, another crying moment. I sound like I cry a lot, <laughs> but I did. Another crying moment was uh, the community was so easy once you knew it. Like the streets and around but when you didn't so one night I said I'd help out at the youth centre which was so much fun but I'd help out at the youth centre and it was got dark really quickly there's no street lights it's whatever and then the um the lovely lady and her hubby that worked at the youth centre were like we'll drop you home it's like that would be great didn't know where I lived but I was like I think it's this street and then just there so just drop me on the corner I'll be fine but literally was like walking down it was pitch black I did have my phone but it was like pitch black and then I remember seeing like a group of people um like I don't know they had a bit but I wasn't going to go and a big family that had a bit of a fire at the front of their house I wasn't going to go and be like hey to 50 people so I just kept walking and walking and I, I had no idea where I was oh and I just God. burst in and this is what I seem to do instead of like trying to figure stuff out I just burst into tears it was just like I don't know what to do and I just saw a lady that happened to be walking a greyhound of all things so she was a white lady that had moved to community and I was like I'm so lost I don't know where I am and she's like where do you live I'm like I don't know I don't but no. it's that big house opposite the police station that just like, oh, that's fine. Like, walk with it. It was literally around the corner. <laughs> and she dropped me off, and I think, um, and it was fine. And then I think the next day she worked at either the health center or, or I don't know, um, the little maternal child health nurse thing there. And then she, I saw her the next day, and she's like, Are you okay? I was like, Yeah, I was fine. It was so bad. I was so emotional, but it was fine. I was great. And that was probably the only time um, that, yeah, after that I figured it. And then we, I ran a lot too, so I met some school teachers there that ran marathons and stuff, so they would take me out and there would be the airport and then we'd just run. And there were a few times we saw some, like, big deer or, and stuff like that, oh, and that freaked cool. me out. Like, bu- buffalo, I think, maybe? Mm, I don't know. I think I don't so. want to get the animals wrong. But, um, yeah. but yeah, and that was scary because you'd, like, run out. We were doing, like, 20K out, 20K back sometimes, and you'd run out and then you'd just be, like, on the on – dirt roads and you'd look and they'd just be like this animal staring at you <laughs> so, yeah 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 so they were a few but other than that no not really like um that was the only time we did get a troopy stuck once when we'd gone out and and if a couple of the women we were with had gone geese hunting and um and yeah the troopy got stuck in the sand but the women like troopers got out and like digging as fast as they could and, and the wheels and yeah it was someone else put this tin thing under and it was all just yeah yeah, wow. Yeah. So yeah. creative. I didn't cry that day, but I was like, <laughs> what can, what you can, I, what can <laughs> I do to help? Like, I felt useless. And like, these women are like crazy strong. So anyway, but yeah, that was, that was probably the only time when I was stuck one street away from my house and it was pitch black and I cried. So, yeah. I sympathise so with that so much because I would 110% do that <laughs> and I would be just like, around the corner. My heart, it is, it's a pro, like my heart starts racing and then I'm looking around. <laughs> I have no idea where I am. I can't call anyone because you barely have any phone reception. I'm like, who would I call anyway? Yeah. I don't know anyone in community. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, that was the only moment. How funny. Mm. You've mentioned Parkville a couple of times. I sound silly saying Parkville because everyone says Parky. No one that works no at Parkville calls it Parky. It's so weird. <laughs> oh. It must be clients that you work with. Like no, young people. it's CP. I oh. think it's a oh. trial protection Don't say thing. Oh, that. No. No. See, that's where I first no. heard it. When I was working with Barry no. Street, everyone was like Parky. And I'm like, the fuck's Parky? Oh, no. It's a two-syllable word anyway. <laughs> yeah, Parkville. Parkville. Like, How lazy do you oh, want to no. get? It's so weird. <laughs> Did you find that weird no. when you came out? No, I've 
not heard people say that. Oh. Like, That's what I'm I thought saying. you were laughing because you agree no, with me. I'm laughing because everybody says parky. Like, do they? Maybe it's like a south thing. Maybe it's in the southeast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I reckon maybe it is a southern thing. So even as I went so to say it, I was funny. waiting for you to be like parky. Why is it Yeah. So yeah. So lots of people in the south, That's and I've heard crazy. it from child protection workers call it parky. Wow. And I'm like, it's no, it's no, a, yeah, bro. It's just buckle, man. It's not hard. I'm just sitting here trying to shorten Marsbury, like. Mom's, 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 Getting beat up. No, that was that was actually that role was what again another stepping stone for because like the teenagers and stuff that I work with, it's just you just can relate so well. But that was probably another role that I always um because I was in Resi before that and then park parky somehow felt so much safer <laughs> than residential care yeah. work. Um and yeah. yeah, I think just the well you wouldn't know Josh, but the the client groups that we work with, the age groups, the different boys, the kind of dynamics of each like unit you know, and stuff. Um yeah, big massive learning curve. And I think um I think yeah anyone that was lucky lucky that was lucky enough to work there as well, I think is an awesome learning experience. Like mm. um I loved I loved working there, Parky. Which is, which is interesting that you say that because I know that there's, you know, obviously there was all the riot stuff last year with Parkville um, and there was an incident not that long ago at Malmesbury and it sort of brought up all the yep. hot topics again a bit around, um, you know, people not feeling safe working yeah. in custody and all that stuff, which is interesting because every person that I've spoken to that's actually worked in custody mm. and like you just said then, mm. like you felt safe for working mm. at Parkville and mm. in a resi care unit. Mm. Um I worked at a very dodgy resi key. No, not dodgy. <laughs> not dodgy, just the kids are like out of control. <laughs> no, but it's true. You did. And I think so, um, and you can jump in at any time, Josh, but I think it's just your teams and your, if you've got a solid team that you're working under and you've got like good structure and stuff. It was like, it wasn't like all roses and stuff. It was quite tough. And I think the toughness becomes, it, everything becomes normalised. Like I was talking mm. to someone mm. not long ago saying like, Working in child protection, everyone is mind blown when you say you worked at Parkville. Like everyone's just like, what? And like, I didn't think it was like mm. that big a, you know, like when you're yeah. in it. But I think it's that whole, even your, it's, I don't want to say prison, but it's like you're in a prison yourself. The way that you can't take any of your personal yeah. stuff in, mm. you go through things and you've got keys and alarms and, and just everything's a code. And But it becomes so normal. Like it yes. just moving around that kind of, but again, it's the kids that like, I don't know kids' stories and where they've come from and how, you know, yeah. It yes. sounds like a very interesting thing. And I'm, like, internally having a bit of a giggle when you just say, you know, you can't take any of these. Yeah. It becomes so natural. Because every time I go to Parkville, my eyes don't register. <laughs> and so I think it's got something to do with having a previous VP number because I uh, worked for the okay. department. Yep. But now because I'm at a community service, yep. it, it gets confused. Yeah. So every time I go there, it says access denied. <laughs> and they're always like, what are you Sweet. up to? And I always get really uncomfortable. And then I'm like, oh, they're like, take your shoes off. I'm like, oh, I didn't take my shoes off. 
from there, like, take your Apple Watch. I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got to put the Apple Watch away. They're like, do you have anything else on you? I'm like, oh, no, no. And it just, I just am such a noob every time, even though I've been, to, every time I walk in, I'm like, right, today's the day. Yeah, I'm going to get, you get through issues. security seamlessly. And every time I just turn into like this flustered mess because I'm like, Whoa. I'm not doing anything wrong, I swear. But it just never works and it always turns into a giant clusterfuck every time love I go. Love it. I love it. And they get so shady on you and it says access denied with your eyes. I'm like, oh, I've not done anything. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> it was like the panic of, oh my God, they're not going to let me in. I love it. Mm. I love it. But my opinion would be the same. I've never, I remember the first time I went to Parkville and they sort of let you out the other side of security and they're like, follow the yellow line. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean follow the yellow line? I'm in the middle of a prison. Isn't someone going to walk me somewhere? <laughs> and like, I did. And it was fine. Yeah. Oh, I just dropped a lash. Um, I did and it was fine. But I agree with you being like, yeah. it doesn't feel unsafe I guess yeah. whenever I've gone I've never felt unsafe yeah in like a custodial in, in that sort of custodial setting yeah. so it's I think for me that's where I find the intrigue with the riots and you know I think the other week at Miles where they had like the full riot yeah. police come out with like the screens and everything yeah. and I was like oh geez that's yeah. pretty, pretty I think wild the kids plot they definitely plot mm. and they definitely like there's been I'd say that there's been plenty of times where I felt like like where I did feel unsafe but I think there's so many good good moments I don't know good thing like mm. I like to play table tennis at Parkville because mm. the boys taught me how to play table tennis I learned how to play certain guard games because the boys taught me how to play card do you know what I mean yeah. like those kinds of and when you see these kids like doing their rap songs and, and yeah. you know just just doing stuff that they don't do in community because they're out doing naughty stuff like mm. yeah yeah my favorites were taking the kids to the pool yeah yeah like you'd have these big like yeah. staunch yes. like teenagers <laughs> and then they'd be like Whose dive was it? Whose bomb was bigger? Yes. Was it mine or was it his? Yes. They're jumping in. They're fucking giggling like children. Yeah. Like children. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because they are children. Yeah. Are, that yeah. was one of the funny... Like, that's yeah. one of probably, like, always... Like, a story I tell people. Yeah. Is, um... Is, like, taking the kids to the pool. That yeah. was always really funny. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. Yeah. Mm. And I think in terms of it being unsafe, like... I think it, it's a difference between, like, I guess, um... Being hurt intentionally and mm. then, and being hurt sort of incidentally yep. or yeah, as okay. part of something bigger going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, because like, I think, oh God, maybe on one occasion I was like sort of personally or sort of directly sort of attacked or mm. um, was involved in an incident. Mm. But any other time, like I've, that's probably like once. Yeah. But there's been lots of times I've been around violence or being involved in violence or mm. violence mm. poison, the mm. right word for it, but you know, destructive, violent behavior and stuff like that. But mm. yeah, it's normally amongst themselves mm. or against the facility itself. Or, mm. you Which know. Yeah. I think is an interesting uh-huh. message in itself, isn't it? And it, it 100% goes back to like the way media portrays yeah. things and, and the scare factor and, you know, what's going to sell. Yeah. Because I think the headline at the time was Victorian government and Dan Andrews struggled to contain kids in custody. And I was like, well, actually, yeah. it's one unit of kids where yeah. something's happened. You actually don't know the yeah. full story yeah. of what's mm. going yeah. on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, fear sells, yeah. and that's just yeah. the way it's portrayed. But you mm. think about, you know, how many years were you at Parkville? Yeah, like six. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And for that's a pretty good yeah. wicket. Yeah, 100%. And there's so many things to it. You know, there's like legislation that that is, is written to protect young people, and then there's gaps in times when you, you wish the legislation wasn't there to prevent or to stop yeah. something from occurring yeah. you know like we couldn't i don't know um like we couldn't you know use force you know disproportionate mm. force or using uh batons and oc spray and things like that the police would have or that mm. people in an adult prison would have 
but say that that was not in the legislation, those things would probably get overused. Yeah. But there, yeah. Are, I can tell you, like, there'd be plenty of times that I wish I had a baton or a yeah. spray to stop an incident from happening yeah. or to stop it from continuing. Mm. Yeah. But I'm also glad that that legislation is there because, yeah, like I said, it would get overused, um, yeah. misused, overused, yeah. abused, mm. you know. Yeah. Just um, to clarify, OC spray and pepper spray, are they the same thing? Oh, I think so. Right. Just probably brand names or something. I can't right. remember now. Yeah. Because <laughs> you said OC spray and I instantly thought of like the TV show. The I OC. did too. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, get that out of your head. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's talking about. I can't remember. I think it stands for, I think it's like Olio capsicum spray. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think something like that. Have you ever ac- either of you accidentally been OC sprayed? Uh, I've, yeah, so Mel's not in Mel's not in. But I was the 16 year old. <laughs> Your story's going to be far better than mine. That's the no, so mine was, my one was, I was in Resi, uh, girls like uh, either having mental health problems or coming down or probably a mixture of both. And she set her bed on fire in her room and we called the fire brigade and the police and then the police sprayed her and we were out in the front near the letterbox and the spray wafted our direction. Mm. So that, and then we never had it at Parkville. And then when I did another job, they kind of sprayed in the air and you kind of taste it, but barely. Mm. But not, not not like Mel. No. Yeah, I was I just thinking then that was an exaggeration. I didn't get sprayed, but I nearly got sprayed and I was 17. And my boyfriend at the time would be at the house party. And I remember the cops came for some reason and all the boys, probably like the boys at Parkville, all kicked <laughs> off. Yeah. And, um, and I remember... <laughs> I shouldn't even say that out loud. Me and my boyfriend was kind of like at the time, like handcuffed or something oh to um to the, oh just a group of them, like handcuffed to like the the gutter and whatever. And I was like, I'm gonna get him, like running over. And I remember the cop was like, just stop with his spray. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Don't Thank spray me. Back. What a brat I was. I did have some friends when um when uh, like growing up that ended up in Parkville too. So <laughs> naughty friends are the best friends because they make for good stories. <laughs> I remember when I worked there, one of the men me and he was like, Do you remember when I went to Parliament? I was like, No, like, like, in like high school, I was like, No, um, but yeah, no, so I, I lied, I didn't get sprayed, I nearly did though. Mm. It's interesting because, like, the reason I ask is because you see videos of people being like pepper sprayed and it's fucking horrific. Oh, yeah, and I like have a similar reaction. So imagine like someone being pepper sprayed and then I have a pretty similar a- reaction to like just cutting onions. I was just going to say so, like cut onions. Yeah. <laughs> so the image of me getting sprayed by pepper spray in my head, I don't want Die. it to ever Dead. happen. Dead. But it would be so, I think I would be like, oh, like I'm going to, I'm just going to lay here and die. Because that's what I'm like when I chop an onion. So yes. I can only imagine yes. what it would be like. From everything I know, it really, really hurts. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing a cop accidentally pepper spray himself once and fuck it was the I would be that thing. cop if I was a, I would be yeah. that person. Like I was that. crying. I was like, that's the best. And it wasn't even he'd done everything right, but just the wind direction. So he sprayed it and it came straight back into his face. And I just watched the whole thing happen and I was like, oh, this is the best. That poor dude, but I don't know. Better than what I thought, because I thought that, and I don't know how you can really mark this up, but I thought that he had... Um, Put them press in. the button and the nozzle's facing towards yeah. him. So, yeah, the wind is, you know, forgivable, but that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's pretty fun. Better than shooting himself, I suppose. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> Imagine funny. that. I'm curious, Mel, did your um, interest in Aboriginal culture, where did that start? Because, uh, you know. Well, I'm, so I'll just, like, put all my cards out on the table that I was really one of those ignorant 
people that mm. didn't know anything. So I remember it started it started when I when I was at uni. Um and I think so I would have been 30 when I started uni. So I think I think um I can honestly say like I don't know um, when I went to high school and stuff I had um Aboriginal friends, Turkish friends, and um, just I went to a really multicultural school. So I think mm. we've discussed this, and I'm not getting off topic, but we've discussed this before, um, in another like a um with another group at work. But like I didn't really understand a lot about racism growing up because I think mm. obviously being white myself, it never directly impacted me. But also we um I had so many different um different friends from different backgrounds and cultures at school that it never really um I'd never really thought too much about it and so I guess so when and I heard you saying before now how you're saying like people obviously go to other countries and third world countries so my placement at uni that I wanted to do was in Manila in the Philippines because that was something that they offered and it was only we did a bit of um anthropology um not full subject but topic at school and as soon as I started learning I don't know why but learning more and more about Aboriginal culture and um the history of Australia at uni it was when I just like I just it was almost like I connected with it and I just went more with it like I would read other books or I'd ask my lecturer you know what kind of other other things are out there and and I just became just addicted to learning more about um about real Australian history and I think that that was where that was where I was like, I need, I just, I need to understand what I'm reading. Like I need yeah. to understand more, like I need to know more and I need to just, and it's constant. And so I think, um, I think that in that area, the learning never, ever stops. So that's, that was the first bit where I became, I, I, I can honestly remember, and I'm so embarrassed to say this out loud. So it was, if it benefits one person, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. But I remember working in Resi and I had, and this was the very, very beginning. And we had, um, like obviously everybody's disadvantaged that, it, you know, in kind of residential home settings. Um, but I had, there was um, an Aboriginal girl that I worked with and then we had some other girls and I could not in my head, so embarrassed to say it now, but I could not in my head understand, well, why, why does this Aboriginal girl get like free dental and free healthcare? And, just, and mm-hmm. I honestly can, and which is why sometimes like I have a little bit of tolerance for ignorant people, but ignorant yeah. people that are willing to learn. And then, and now I'm just like, absolutely like like there's just so much more but I didn't understand health gaps and I didn't understand life expectancies then and I actually didn't understand the full extent like um yeah so I guess that was where my interest started and then I went and lived remote and I like it was so like hands-on um experience and then coming back and since then like I've done a graduate certificate in Aboriginal studies through like um University of South Australia and now I want to do another master because that learning is just um, so constant so I guess yeah it was um it took it it was uh, yeah it was a bit of a journey so I wasn't always yeah I don't yeah that would have been where it started and then it just becomes like a little bit addictive because it goes so um there's um like Irene Watson is um a scholar that I really love reading her stuff and there's a few um Ian Anderson's another one and I think um I'm not going to go above and beyond but like there's there's even an article that I read not long ago and it was about how, um, you know, when the Little Children of Sacred report came out, I don't know if, anyway, that report was about child sex abuse and stuff in um, Aboriginal communities and mm. the government at the time put in, were like, oh, we ne- they exactly what you were saying before now, like they made this whole fear and made Aboriginal men in communities sound like perpetrators and all of this sort of stuff and so the government had this um, initiative where they were t- sending in the army and doing this and doing all of these things and they needed access to Aboriginal lands that they weren't allowed access to to be able to get and, and they wanted to lease them for I can't remember how many years it was the article that I was reading and then what this 
author was saying was actually what you don't know is that they wanted to put certain um, railway tracks through this Aboriginal land for mining purposes from one town. And you're like, oh, and it's just that other kind of what we're seeing in the media. And then you read something else and you're like, oh, we're still doing that, you know, we're still doing this now. And I think that, yeah, so it just, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, when I started learning a little bit, I just want to know more and more and more and more. So, Mm. yeah. That's a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not, I think it's really nice that you shared that though, especially being someone yeah. that came, that currently yeah. works, you know, yeah. in an Aboriginal specific role, because it is very, and even I would be quite similar in the sense of, we've spoken about it before, it wasn't vastly a part yeah. of my education yeah. at school and everything yeah. that I do know has been, you know, self-taught or through people that I have met. Yeah. Um, and it is, that's a very hard thing to acknowledge yeah. in the field because there is an expectation that you are culturally trained yeah. and that you are culturally appropriate yeah. and all of those sorts of things. And, yeah. you know, obviously I think, everyone works towards doing the best that they can in a situation. Yeah. But there's also a real scary part about being or acknowledging that you don't know 100%. everything mm-hmm. yeah. or that you have been ignorant in the yeah. past, but you are willing to yeah. learn. It's actually a really scary yeah. thing to say. So I think it's, I think it's really beautiful that you have said that because yeah. it goes to show people that are listening that, you know, well, it's okay if you don't yeah. know everything, but if you're open to learn, there yeah. is aven- there is m- many avenues out there for you to yeah. learn from yeah. and it's not too late. Yeah. And I think that that's, that, that is a really good point. Like one of the things that we always talk about with some of the people that I work with when we go out and see families and stuff, if people are really scared to ask about, like, like we always talk about and we still always do it, but making assumptions. Like, yeah. so when we're do- working on um, in, any um, piece of work that might involve someone's culture and stuff we make the assumption of from here be here because you're scared to ask the questions well where's your family from what's your mob what's your totem what's that kind of yeah. thing people don't want to it's like they're almost uncomfortable to ask the questions to an aboriginal person but actually most all that i've ever met aboriginal people so want to be willing to share their story so that yeah. you get it right you're not just putting down what you learn on Google, you're actually asking mm. the questions. And I think that's where you grow and learn as well. Like, tell mm. me more about that or how does that work? And, um, yeah, when I was in community, that was that was something for me, that being able to ask questions and feel dumb asking questions and someone telling you that's right or that's not right or we don't do this this way and that way, 100%. Mm. Yeah. It is funny. I remember when we did this training. It was, uh, um, I think it was Aboriginal Culture and Awareness training, mm-hmm. something similar, like a one-day, you know, um, and... Someone said, and I, and I, and I, it's, it's a tricky one because I, I do appreciate asking a question and mm. it, you know, if you think it like the old dumb questions sort of saying, such thing as a silly question. If someone goes, oh, if I was to meet an Aboriginal person, like how should I say hello? And I, like I said, under my breath, but I kind of had enough by this stage. And I was just like, you shake hands and say, g'day, what's your name? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I got a few laughs and stuff, which I appreciated, but I was like, <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Like. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was like, what? Like, yeah, it's just so funny. And I yeah. don't know if there's like a guilt that people hold about their nervousness yeah. around asking a question yeah. or an ignorance or whatever it is. Yeah. But it, it is funny. It yeah. is, yeah, it does make me laugh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm part of this like working group, uh, Aboriginal working group thing through work on how to kind of better in our, get better in our system more with like employees and stuff. And we had, um, myself, um, an Aboriginal um, lady that I worked with, and then a few others. And I remember one of, so we obviously, and like you guys have got a beautiful one on your podcast, but we obviously do an acknowledgement in the country before every um, meeting that we have. And someone said, I can't remember what they, it was in line with, well, I'm not going to do 
I do an acknowledgement before every meeting, but I don't, I'm not going to do an acknowledgement every time I meet with someone, as in like a, a client, or I'm not going to do it every time. And we're like, well, you don't pick and choose when you do an acknowledgement. You just acknowledge the land that you're on constantly. And then the lady that I was, like, I just found that weird too. Like, why do you only do it in a big meeting? Mm. But not just like we should be all educating each other. And, yeah. and, and these acknowledgements about just about respecting the land that you're on. And, um, and the Aboriginal lady that I worked with, she made a really, really good point. She said to me, afterwards she said sometimes I get a little bit sick of doing acknowledgements before meetings she's like because I'm Aboriginal I know what land we're on it's all you guys that need to kind of acknowledge the land you're on and not us and I thought oh that's actually a really important point as well because often and I'm guilty of it as well if I'm with um in a meeting or in a group with someone who's Aboriginal I expect that they kind of or I just think it would be more appropriate that they do the acknowledgement Mm -hmm. because they are the Aboriginal person teacher and she was like but we know what land we're on so why I was like that's a really good point too so that's something I've kind of taken away as well like yeah Mm. yeah it's interesting you say that because I've definitely been in meetings before where the um acknowledgement has been sort of openly targeted to certain people to happen in the room and you're you're right it, it shouldn't yeah be that yeah I just thought I was being like respectful yeah, or yeah. I was being, yeah, yeah, kicking back, letting, yeah. yeah, someone else say it. And then she's like, mm, actually, why, why should I say it? Like, yeah. I was like, that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, people probably feel it. differently about that, but yeah, I think, um, hmm. mm. and you're right. It shouldn't just be for big meetings. I think it should be consistently. Mm. Well, we've started doing it like, or myself, just even in like smaller meetings with, um, well, always with families, but sometimes even just with my young people. If like, I'm not like if we're having a meeting with like two or three of us, like a school meeting or something, still always say it because obviously then we're educating that this is kind of what we do. And then people, yeah, start to yeah, get better at it themselves. And yeah, a couple of the young people I work with will happily do a little acknowledgement before a meeting of their own as well. It's really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many cool ones out there. Like mm. I think you, Josh, have read me one before that um, goes into sort of like their relationship with land mm. and nature and all of that. And they're like, I think it's very easy for people and probably me as a white person that hasn't had that much opportunity, like hasn't engaged in that many spaces where yeah. um, I'm doing the acknowledgement, I guess. Yeah. There's sort of the standard of I would like to acknowledge, you yeah. know, the traditional owners and all of that. But there's also there can be an element of creativity to it. And I and I've there's a couple of acknowledgements that really um, sort of wind in the their spiritual yeah. um, side as yeah. well the, 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 in their culture. And I think they're quite beautiful. Like mm. they're very. Yeah, they're very creative. Yeah. They're quite yeah. nice. It's yeah. not just a, I like that sort of organisations now are building from what they know and, yeah. and aren't just doing the stock standard. Yeah. I would like yeah. to acknowledge. Yeah. That's it. They're, yeah. they're getting creative with it yeah. as well. Yeah. Because I think it sparks people's interest as well. Even yeah. if you, there's obviously like a standardised acknowledgement that you could do, but when they're getting a little bit creative and there's more of like a connection to culture and I guess exposure of like the spiritual side, it sparks interest in people to yeah. be like, that intrigues me. Yeah. Which is good because then it creates conversations and it sort of brings it back to the what you were talking about before with the knowledge stick yeah. of if you've got something, pass it on. Yeah. Um, and I think Nat had mentioned it as well, talking about, you know, um, having an interest in Aboriginal culture and going and working at an Aboriginal-specific organisation. Yeah. And someone had said to her in remote mm. community, actually, it's better that you go and work in a non-Aboriginal organisation yeah. and you share the knowledge yeah. you have because everyone in the Aboriginal yeah. organisations, they know. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. their ethos. They're, yeah. you know, that's their yeah. mission. They're working on that. It's the ones that aren't Aboriginal-specific that you go and you spread your seeds yeah. and watch it grow because yeah. that's how people learn yeah. is by 
you know, interactions with other people. Yeah, mm. 100%. Mm. I thought you were thinking then. No, I was. I was going to ask you about um, how did you how did you feel or what was your thoughts on the protests on the weekend? Mm. Um, <laughs> Don't get into politics. Big subject. No, it just it just I just think like um I I just yeah I don't know I just I think like there's just been a lot of I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into the political stuff. No, no, no. No, it's fine. Yeah, bandwagon, but also I just think, like, there's been a lot of kickoff about... And I think, like, rightly so, like, it's not, but I just think that this has been ongoing in Australia and America. You know, yeah, a lot of people kick off with that stuff that's happening in America and I'm reading on a lot of social media, like, statistics mm. of deaths in prisons and, and I'm like, well, just look at Australia. Yeah. <laughs> look at a few... And that kind of stuff. And I kind of... Part of me... And I hope, like you were saying that, like it does start sparking interest and people start looking more because it's horrible and it shouldn't be happening anywhere mm. in the world. But I think it's just been like people when it comes to kind of racism and, and um, you know, just it, like deaths. I, I think Scott and I were talking about it last night, like deaths in custody and all the rest of it. Like you just need to look to, at our own statistics mm. and our own um, history to know that it's actually been happening for a very long time and continues to happen. And I, yeah, I think it, it's great to, in terms of like sparking interest and, and everybody talking about it, but it's been such an issue ongoing for such a long time that I wish it was just an ongoing mm. conversation. Not, yeah. not, you know, like it was, yeah, I think that that's, yeah, I have, <laughs> I have a lot to say on the, on the matter, but I won't, but, I'll, I'll, but like we were just saying last night, um, I was saying to Scott that if, he doesn't get a lot of stuff, but I was saying, like, just say you're at Parliament Station and you've got a white a white person, drunk and disorderly and doing whatever, and you have just a person of colour, like with Aboriginal, Sudanese, whatever, you can, in this day and age, you can most likely, that the person of colour will be arrested. And, yes. the way, and it still happens, but people don't... Um, yeah, so I just wish it would be a topic that was open all the time and people would realise that our deaths in custody and mm. over-representation in custody of Aboriginal people is still a very, very real thing and people mm. are still, you know, being, care's being withheld and treatment's being, you know, um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people have jumped on that, um, you know, I guess bandwagon, as yeah. you will, and, and not to discount whatever's yeah. going on in America yeah. and it's horrible but I think it is a really opportune time to remind people and sad that we have to, but a yeah. really opportune time to remind people that yes, there are horrific things happening yeah. overseas. And I even think, you know, a couple of years back with like everything that was happening in Syria and that yeah, yeah, created such an yeah. uproar. But also looking internally is very hard for people yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Um, and as much as it's very hard, I guess, um, it's a pretty touchy subject, obviously, mm. um, and rightly so. But I think, it's really hard with the bandwagon stuff because you want it to keep going. Yeah. Like you're saying, you don't want it to, you know, in two weeks from now yeah. to be, you know, the protest, protest happened two weeks yeah. ago and, you know, yeah. um, the, the, the hashtag Black Lives Matter yeah. sort of dies off and, yeah. and, and we don't hear anything yeah. about it because I think, you know, we can look at it in a positive frame and say, you know, look at the attention that it is bringing and for people to go, fuck, that's happening yeah. here. Because a lot of the time, whether it be ignorance or whatever else, it's out of sight, out of yeah. mind and often it is a mentality to be, takes it back to that little one, that'll never happen to yeah, me. You yeah. know, we don't like to yeah. put ourselves in positions of vulnerability where yeah. we like to see, you know, the truth yeah. of what's actually going 100%. on. So hopefully that continues. Hopefully yeah. there's, you know, the awareness and the, I guess, spotlight that has been placed 
you know, in Australia yeah. at the moment because of what's happening yeah. overseas. Hopefully that continues. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think people don't want to, um, it's, it's really hard. Like I, I know a mate said to me a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting, he and I were chatting about something and he said something like, I think we've really got better in Australia, like with racism and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a really, why do you think that? And he's like, I just think that we've gotten really good at it. And I said, but that's because like, you, you're not affected by racism. Like mm. it, you should ask someone that is affected by racism yes. if they think that they've got, if we, you know, it's gotten better in Australia and you'd probably find that actually it hasn't because mm. if we did, you know, two people, a person of colour and a white person go for a job interview. Like you were, and I think that that still happens quite a bit when you look at, um, say, like your population of Aboriginal people in each workplace and mm. things like that. So I was like, it's it's funny. It just was – he didn't mean anything by it, but it was no. funny that he thought race – but I was like, if that's coming from your privileged point of view, but if you actually ask someone, mm. an Aboriginal person, if they think that racism's gotten better in Australia, probably the answer would be different than when you're – so I think – um. Yeah, a lot of people's mentality, in, in you know, without meaning it in Australia, think that our, our issues aren't that bad and our problems aren't that bad. And we, we don't treat people like that in prison and we don't treat people. But actually, mm. um, it's happening a lot more than you think. Like, mm. And I think, yeah, so hopefully there's a space. Yeah. And I think often because if, you know, even if I was to say I would not treat a person of yes. colour in that way, if I believed that for me, I think it's a it's naive but it's it's a very beautiful way to think that other people wouldn't yeah, do that yeah and it's not something that you know that's not what we have yeah. here but like in reality it, it does yeah. and it's it's sad that that's sort of I guess the perception of the yeah. broader community yeah. that that's not something that happens yeah. here and unfortunately you know there's a thousand reasons why yeah. that occurs but unfortunately you know we are where we are now and there is a lot of limelight and hopefully mm. it, it continues mm. and hopefully it can bring even a, an, an awareness you know even for people that sit there and go oh you know I'm just one person what can I yes. do and I'm guilty of that before yep. not ne necessarily yep. specific to this subject but for a number yep. of things like it's exhausting and you can't yep. you know sometimes you're just a bit of the can't be fucked yep. with things and yep. that's I'm privileged to be yep. able to have that yep. opinion yeah, you know yeah, yeah. That, like how Privileged is that for yeah. okay. No, you're hundred percent right though. So many people think like that, oh, the problem's so massive, what can I do? But also it was so long ago. Like yeah. like the the trickle effect of what happened so long ago, which wasn't so long no. ago. Um, that's what like I was I was having the same I keep saying that, I must have a lot of conversations with people, but I was talking <laughs> to someone a while ago when we were discussing it. We were discussing about children being removed and the impacts that that's having um, because actually there was a study in Queensland not that long ago that was saying there's actually more children being removed in Queensland at the moment than there was during the stolen generations and wow. I always say generations because it's so many yeah. um, generations but and then when we look at the I guess the trickle effect I was saying to someone yeah but even even things like um, you know education and things Aboriginal people were denied so much for so long including healthcare um, include all of that but education being a big one and then our government comes in and says oh we apologize here have a heap of money mm. but what if if you and, and I, I was saying it to my friend who was a mum. i'm like if you had had your child removed mm. and you weren't given any opportunities to study and you were removed from most healthcare systems and the only ones that you could access were westernized ones who don't have the same you know holistic view on health as you do mm. what would you be doing with your money when you mm. don't have any supports and you're kind of made to feel inferior to every service that you access like that's kind of the thing that keeps going and then that's how the problem did get so big so Mm. and it was it was funny she was like I haven't thought of it like that and it's we kind of look at oh for anything it might be mental health it might be drug and alcohol it might be child removal it might be subs whatever it is and we, we just look at people and, and think oh 
that's how you are, but how did we get to, I know we all think differently, but yeah. how did we get to that point? And actually it started with all these things that happened not so long ago mm. when people were made to feel like, you know, because I'm a person of colour, I'm sick or I've got, you know, like there was no, yeah, so Less I think, than. yeah. Mm. I need to stop. I bang on. Let's stop. No, I think there was a. Um, Josh started it, so we can blame him for that. And then, you know, so I really didn't say much either. He's like, just put it in the middle of it. He's like, what's your name? He's got his ear, just be walking away. Yeah. Going, like, Josh just it. wanted a toilet break. Perfect. I'll just drop this and run away. Oh, gosh. It's a hard one, though. I think one of the. There's obviously so much on social media being posted at the moment, but the one that I really liked that I thought would be good because it would twig for people that have maybe a little bit of a naive opinion or whatever was um, the, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's the house is on fire. And it was, it had said, you know, it's if your house fire. is on yes. fire and you call the fire brigade, they don't wet all the houses in the road, do they? Because yep. they're not on, all on fire. Um, and I think it was in retaliation to people saying not all people are racist yep. or something like that. Um, and just brought it back to, well, if there's one house on fire in a street of 10 houses, we're not going to wear all the houses. We're going to, you know, yeah. mm. stop the yeah. fire in the one house. And, and right now what we're doing is this subject is what we're addressing. Yeah. And I think for people, it, it's just such a plain languaged point of view. I think that nothing can be misconstrued in it. So I, d- I really like the simple ones yeah. that come out like that. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully. Um. We normally finish all our podcasts with a surprise question. Yeah. And uh, actually, can you phrase it? I always get it wrong. Yeah. Oh, I thought you did a good job last time. <laughs> um, so the final question is, if you had any advice for up-and-comers in the field or people wanting to change maybe career directions or whatever it might be, what would your one piece of advice for them be? I'm not a good advice giver. No, no. Um, just, I, I think for me personally, I think that once you've, or for me in all the roles, once you've stopped growing somewhere, mm. that's when like it's time to make a change. I don't think you should stay anywhere that that's not, I guess, challenging you and developing you. And yeah, for me, I'd, I'd hate to be in the one job my whole life. So yeah. I think once you've learned and grown and gotten as much as you can out of one job, don't be scared to try another because you'll probably find that yeah you'll learn other you'll stuff. learn and challenge and there'll be a whole new chapter of yeah yeah of don't, life. Be, don't yeah. be scared to find a find a new I guess path yeah which is a really good one because how many people are like oh but I'm in well, you know I'm 45 and I want to move yeah. yeah careers but I'm too scared of being yeah. in the same place yeah you're right yeah always move yeah yeah always there's always learn. funding for new programs yeah. and initiatives and yeah. stuff so it's a really yeah. good point yeah, and I think we get we get scared. Oh, I personally get scared of change, but yeah. when you're um, yeah, when you, yeah, I think when you stop growing and developing in one place, it's good to, yeah, mm. move on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for hosting us on a Monday well. morning. Yeah, you posted us. <laughs> You've been lovely. Thanks for welcoming us <laughs> Thank to you. your home. Thanks, Mel. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast, invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.